Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan. Today, we are going to take a peek at the seduction of cash flow as we visit with a 20-plus-year veteran in real estate investing. Mark Hanteman is an Emmy-nominated writer-producer and original writer on the show Family Guy. He's created shows for Fox and MTV, run Family Guy, written for David Letterman, and major studio feature films. After struggling as a starving artist, Mark used his first script payment in 2000 to buy a duplex in Los Angeles as a hedge fund against the uncertainty of an entertainment career. Real estate became a passionate side hustle, and since then, Mark has built a $140 million multifamily portfolio alongside his writing career, and he founded Quantum Capital, which syndicates in Austin, Los Angeles, Denver, and Phoenix. Mark's mission is to help people achieve financial freedom through real estate so they don't have to become television writers. So, Mark, share a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be the person you are today. Mm, Okay. Start off with a tough question. Uh, Formative experience. I think when I look back on my life as a kid, I was really shy and introverted. And my my mom said I could always just sit in the corner drawing drawing for like hours straight. She said I was your I was her easiest kid. All the other, my other siblings were bouncing off the walls and, but I was pretty shy and introverted. And I think in a formative experience is I stumbled upon some books in like sixth grade. And I think they were on my mom's like bedstand. And I think her father gave it to her. So this is something from like the forties that these books, and they were all about like mindset. And it was really kind of forward thinking for back then but it was all about mindset and and I started reading them I was a bored kid I had nothing to do so I was like and I remember like even at that age I'm like this is going to be a bunch of garbage and, and none of this none of this would ever work but I just had nothing else to do so I was trying I was like tinkering with mindset and after like 6 months I was like oh my god my my whole the way I look at the world is completely different and I think that was, that was, I'd attribute that as something that really kind of shifted me into a new direction. Wow, that's amazing. In the sixth grade, I guess it's about 12, 13 years old. What an amazing thing to stumble on and to be able to take it in and actually to act on it. I think that's even more amazing. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you- I think it was part like when you're sixth grade, what is that, 12 years old or something oh, like that? Something like that. You yeah. just have nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot of a free time. So I'm like, all right, well, why not? I'll try it. I'll try it. And I don't think it's going to work, but I'm going to try it. Well, it obviously has worked for you. <laughs> well, I can't imagine that being a television writer is the worst occupation in the world. In fact, I assume that a lot of people probably envy you for your success in that realm. I can see that it could be like writing a teeter totter and why you might like uh, some stability, at least financially, in your life as you pursue that career. 
Well, tell us just a little bit. You started off with the duplex, so fill us in a little bit on the details. Okay, sure. You know, I grew up in Ohio and I never knew anybody that worked in the entertainment business. But in college, I I started a humor publication. I think I majored in organizational communication, which I think to this day, I don't really know what that was supposed to be. But I spent a lot of my time drawing pictures and, and drawing cartoons and writing articles. And I ended up starting a humor publication at the school. And that got me hired as a, for a job at American Greetings in their alternative humor department as a writer and illustrator. And then my greeting cards, which were these weird greeting cards, got me hired to write for David Letterman in New York. And then I realized most of the business was in LA. So my fiance and I moved to Los Angeles and I was scared. And I thought I would, you know, I thought, you know, my career in this business would probably be, you know, a lot of unemployment, a lot of uncertainty. And so when I got hired as a a writer on a new show called Family Guy back in like 1999, I took my first couple script payments and, you know, fortuitously, like I was looking for that. I was desperate for that stability and that financial cushion because I didn't know anybody. I, I knew I was in expense in an expensive city. And so I put it towards a duplex and and that was back in 1999 and i embraced you know embraced it i was you know it was it was a daunting undertaking and i thought you know this could be a bad a bad thing but you know tried to learn about real estate and and i caught a good time in the market back back then and i ended up you know i think that first duplex i bought it for $435,000 and i think it was listed at 379 so i way overpaid. There were 15 other buyers. It was Los Angeles. So there was a ton of competition, but I won the bidding war and I thought I had made a huge mistake and paid 435,000, but I fixed it up. I rented, I rented out the other side to a friend of mine who was a voice actor, one of the voices on Family Guy. Um, and I sold it five years later for 1.27 million. And I was just kind of stunned at it. it, it you know, it, it unfolded gradually, but over the years, I went like, "This isn't a terrible thing." I didn't make. I realized that I did not make a terrible mistake by investing in that duplex. Like it was working really well for me, and it had sort of matched my wildest dreams. Was that, hey, I own this duplex, so I can now become unemployed. My show could get canceled, and I can still survive because the other side was paying me rent. The the appreciation I had I had refied a couple times, and this duplex was going to save me. And when I got sort of spit out of the entertainment business, so I started pumping all of in the show. Family Guy kept going, so I started pumping all of my money. You know, I was never one to buy a fancy car or anything like that. I put everything into real estate. I'm like, I want to build and build and build. And you know, I got started. You know, at a fairly early age, it was. But you know, now, now it's 20, 23 years later, and a lot of that stuff has snowballed, and I've kept at it. Yeah, those longevity is certainly an important factor in really developing wealth. And we don't often think of how important that component is. And you probably didn't uh, 20, 22 years ago. That probably wasn't the biggest thing in your mind at the time. 
But it certainly right. makes a difference. Well, Mark, talk to us a little bit about starting out in a highly competitive market and what are the challenges? And with every challenge, oftentimes there comes an advantage. But talk to us about that whole process. Sure. Yes. Yeah, so I never considered going out of state. That that was just uh, too daunting. And the technology, you know, didn't make it as as easy back then. Like I think real estate in general was was this opaque, unknowable thing that scared a lot of people. And you know, I had to go write read books. Like there wasn't, you know, the internet didn't have the wealth of information that they do do now. So I was in LA and I was, you know, I had limited funds. So I had to buy ba- essentially the cheapest properties I could find. And I would scour Los Angeles and looked for looked for low cost per square foot and just value. I wanted to find undervalued properties and you know, do my value add on them, but I always wanted them to be in good pockets. And I thought my strategy would be like, I want to be, uh, to, to back up a step, Los Angeles has probably 60 sub markets, like little neighborhoods, pockets here and there. I wanted to identify the hottest, most up and coming. I didn't want the ones that were already mature and where everyone was that had gotten priced up because that. If I had to like do my post game brief on that first duplex, the reason I did so well and 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 tripled the value of that property during my uh, my hold time was because I had caught an up and coming market as it was on its rise, and I bought it when it was cheap, and when I sold it, it was on fire in terms of a market. So I always wanted to duplicate that. I was looking for those markets that were improving and then trying to get the cheapest thing I could find. And that got me into a lot of those like 10 units, eight units, but I always look for lowest cost per square foot. That was my metric. I figured if I could buy it for under $250 a square foot, I, I, I identified that the average price of a of a multifamily property in LA was trading for about $500 a square foot. And that the cost of building was really prohibitive because of regulations. So I knew if I got in that low, I was pretty safe. My downside was covered and I would just try to go to work and add value. And that was my strategy. And, you know, I navigated, that's how I navigated a difficult market. And then regulation and, and rent control was a different thing and I think it it scared a lot of people but it also created all kinds of like market dislocations where pricing was all over the place like there were some very valuable very well located properties that had very low rents and and I think rent control scared away a lot of investors but if you if you're a long-term holder you know you're those units are going to turn and there's going to be huge upside when it comes. And so that was part of my strategy. And then you can do buyouts. And, and if you become a more sophisticated investor, you can work your way and make those obstacles work in your favor. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. 
Are you a busy professional passionate about the work of your calling yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steetalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. So what I'm taking from this is that you spent, at least initially, and you probably still do spend a lot of time looking for properties and probably have a strategy that you are actually utilizing in order to find those undervalued properties. Talk to us about that particular strategy, how you go about sure, that. Sure, sure. Like I said, it was always value add. It was in upcoming sub-markets within the greater Los Angeles area. I always focused on cost per square foot and in, in what I had and it was a lot of this I was doing on my figuring out on my own. So a lot of it's not in any kind of book anywhere. But what I created was this metric that I wanted was leveraged cost per square foot. Because my early experience of evaluating multifamily properties was you never got everything that you wanted. You know, I always wanted, all right, I want a high cap rate. I want a really low cost per square foot. I want a high gross rent multiple, but there was just no such a thing as getting everything you want. So it was a trade. And and the most important things to me was I wanted to pay a low cost per square foot because that was like the base value of the asset itself. And I I thought like, if I can buy an asset, just the asset, the the land plus the, the structure at a big discount, and I held it long enough, I would bring it up to market. And so I wanted that, but I also recognized the value and power of leverage. So when I was looking at a lot of those buildings that were really low cost per square foot, it also had a rock bottom cap rate, a very low cap rate. So I couldn't get leverage. I had to put you know a, a ton of money toward it up front. And I never wanted aggressive leverage. I didn't want to go above 75% LTV. You know, I didn't want to do a 90% or anything like that. I wanted to be conservative, but I wanted to hit, I wanted to be in that sweet spot of like 70 to 75% leverage. And so I created a, you know, my metric was this formula that incorporated cost per square foot and leverage. And when I looked at that, that would often tell me, like this is a good deal. This is the deal you should go, uh, um, go after. And maybe a lot of other investors experience this. But I was in a huge market, so there was a lot of there was a lot of opportunities. There was a lot of deals out there or or things on the market. And so you, were, I was evaluating all the, them all the time. But I often just got paralyzed. I, I I would I couldn't figure out which was the better amongst like five deals. Because they all had different virtues to them. And so that figuring out that leveraged cost per square foot got me off the fence and it helped me make those decisions. Well, you say that cash flow or chasing cash flow can be seductive. What's wrong with cash flow? You know, I love cash flow and I like to have my properties eventually have very strong cash flow but i just think you know and maybe i was formed in a in an expensive market that had low cash flow but 
for example, like go back to that first duplex that I bought. There wasn't much cash flow in it when I bought it, but what I was focused on was in some of this was accidental, but I had a, a broker with me and this woman who was my broker kind of gave me some fundamentals that I kept at that time. And in, for example, when the price was getting bid up and I kept asking her, I was like, should I back out? And, and I was like, what do you think? Cause I don't know anything. I'm brand new at this. And she kept saying, I think it's still a good deal. I think you should still go for it. So I was upping my price, my offer every day, almost ten to $15,000. And I was kind of terrified about it, but she pushed me and I won over 15 other buyers by going up in my price about $40,000. And you know there was no cash flow in it, but what she recognized was that this was a value add even with no cash flow currently. And it was in a phenomenal submarket. And it was a submarket that was catching fire. And she pushed me into it. And as a result, you know, I put down 43500 because I, I did a 10% down payment on a $435,000 uh, property. And so my, in that deal, my 43500 turned into nearly $800,000. When I when I exited, and it was about a two thousand percent multiple, and that just sort of you know slammed me in the face with this: be in a good market, like locate. It go, goes back to location, 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 and and I I took that with me from that day forward is always be in a great location and a rising sub market, whatever city you're in, be in a good city first of all, and then secondly, be in a great sub market, and. Sometimes those locations do not always have cash flow, but if you can get in and you can do your value add and then ride the momentum of that submarket, I think you'll do better than when I would sort of meet other investors. I don't know. Uh, and, and I don't want to bash cash flow. Cash flow is it's critical, it's very important, but recognize that the way met, uh, cash flow works based on cap rates is that the more demand there is for a property or an area, the lower the cash flow is going to be. And the less demand there is for a property or, or submarket, the higher the cash flow is going to be. So beware if you're just doing a blanket search across America for the highest cash flow, you might end up and often the highest cash flow markets are, and I don't want to bash any any city, but I would say it, it I look at it every year and it's Flint, Michigan. And, and I grew up near Youngstown, Ohio. And Youngstown, Ohio is, is where my dad grew up. And it's a, an old industrial town that, that the economy is, is you know, kind of in the toilet. And, and, and so I have this thing in my head that it's like, you know, sometimes in a way, cash flow can be the fee that you get paid to invest in an inferior market. And recognize as an investor, you should just know that there's a balance and, and don't just chase cash flow. Make sure that your location where you're investing has a strong economy. You want to see rent growth. You want to see population growth and job growth and income growth. And, and it goes back to the, the oldest maxim in real estate, which is location, location, location. Yeah, I hear investors uh, telling me that over and over that it's growth in population, growth in jobs, growth in and income. If you have those three factors, 
then your chances are pretty good. At doing pretty well, that is, you still have to buy, right, of course, in to sure. do that. And I was just talking to another investor yesterday who who is using that same strategy that they buy outside the gentrified zones, uh, in zones that are progressing towards gentrification, but not yet there. And just by the fact that they are buying in those areas and improving those areas, almost immediately begins pushing them towards that uh, gentrification stage. So you have those three factors and then the location in terms of just outside those zones then yeah, that's a good strategy to follow there. Yeah. I mean, when I was in my 20s and you had noticed that all the, and so I was in a big city uh, um, and you noticed that there were the areas that were really hot, but the people, the sort of 20 somethings and 30 somethings that wanted to be in those pockets couldn't always afford them. So there would be a wave of people moving to those areas, but on the outskirts because it was cheap cheaper. So that's where I wanted to buy. When when an area got hot, I was like, I want to be on the perimeter of that because there's going to be a lot of people that don't want to pay those high prices, but there's going to be a ton of demand for the more affordable options on the perimeter. Absolutely. Well, Mark, tell us how we can get in touch with you and what is it that you have to offer? Well, sure. Uh, you know, I, I still work in the entertainment business, but I started a company. I've been, I've been investing consistently in multifamily value add uh, B and C class for now 21 years. And I started a company called Quantum Capital back in, you know, I guess I would say 2007 when I started to bring some writer friends of mine into my investments. And I've been doing that ever since. And so you could reach out to me. My website is quantumcapitalinc.com. And you could also reach out to me at mark at quantumcapitalinc.com. And we do investment. Uh, we have a fund right now called the Quantum Capital Growth Momentum Fund, which is a lot of what I was kind of talking about is, is we, we go to you know, major markets, uh, up and coming markets that have all that you know, rent growth, job growth, income growth, and I'd love to help. Yeah, well, great. Well, Mark, I've got one last question, and that is share with us and this is a kind of multi-layered question, but share with us one of your most difficult setbacks in life. And how did you come through that time? And what did you learn from that experience? <laughs> one of the most difficult setbacks. I think one of my most difficult setbacks was when I had been a greeting card writer in Cleveland, you know, close to home. And then I got hired to write on David Letterman in New York. And it was a huge thrill. I, I, I was so excited to to work on that show, this this was like a a, a hero of mine. And, but it was during the 1990s talk show, late night talk show wars, and you know he they were sliding in the ratings. And after I was there for about a year, they the a new producer was brought in to help boost their ratings, and he kind of cleaned house. So I got lost my job one day, and I was new to this city. You know, I was in an expensive rental unit, and you know, I had no prospects. And I remember walking down Broadway, just kind of like a huge gut punch. And I was, my head was swirling and I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Like I've got, I'm stuck in, in New York city, this huge expensive city. I don't know anybody. And I think that was one of the toughest days. And it was, um, it was more emotional than I was like accustomed to being 
<laughs> and I kind of got tired of it just pretty quickly. Like after about a half hour of like feeling sorry for myself, I was like, enough. Like I got to find a way to make this worst day of my life the best day of my life. And how I'm going to do that is I'm going to get to work and I'm going to wake up first thing, you know, earlier than I ever have before tomorrow morning. And I'm going to learn everything that I don't know about this business and I'll get better. I'm going to work so hard. I'll be better than everyone else who's still at, you know, on that staff. And I needed to get back on my feet. And that worked. It worked totally. I did it for, you know, two years of just the grind and, and I was motivated. Well, it looks like those sixth grade readings of uh, <laughs> mindset paid off even later. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure they continue to do so. Well, David, it has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.